0: Welcome to Business Drivers, the podcast dedicated to helping you be a more effective digital leader. Each episode, we connect you to leaders and ideas that help you unlock new growth, both professional and personal. Business Drivers is presented by Farron, and I'm your host, Jim Keen. Today our guest is Eric Hansen. You probably know Eric from his thoughtful posts on LinkedIn or his blog at Hansen.com. You might know him from his long-running, well-respected podcast with Kevin Hunt, The Hunt & Hansen Podcast. Eric is a social media pro that has a strong focus on corporate messaging and communications, but he's a font of knowledge for all sorts of stuff related to social. He's been a successful independent social media consultant for the last 12 years, but he's been driving brands and businesses forward as a marketer for 25 years. He's a pro's pro. This talk was part of my efforts to get smarter about social media overall, what's happening, what's new, what's old, what's ahead for 2022. He got me to rethink the role of a private community for brands, and he made some really good points about the way social drives your brand forward beyond acquisition. And I love, love, love his reminder of how hard the role of social media leader is and how we gotta give support to those that are on the front lines for our brands. I've been harping on this since our talk. You can find Eric at erichanson.com or on Twitter at Eric Hansen. So that's A-R-I-K-H-A-N-S-O-N. And you can find Eric's podcast at hansonandhunt.com. So, Eric, what are some of the long term social media trends that you're looking at that will impact what you and your clients focus on in 2022?
1: That's a good question. I think in 2022 and already in 2021, you're trying, starting to see a little bit of a refocus on community and not just on public facing networks like Instagram and Facebook and things of that nature, but also on private closed networks like Discord, for example. I mean, just look at what Chipotle did earlier this year with Discord when they launched what I believe was the first ever career fair on Discord, where they talked about how they were raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour and how they're hiring 20,000 workers. We well, ended up getting 24,000 applications in a month or something like that. I forgot what time frame it was, but regardless, it was an interesting experiment and it seemed to have gone pretty well in terms of, I'm not sure what kind of connection they made to results, but... Um, I think you're going to see more of that in the year ahead because social has become so fragmented and a lot of people are kind of realizing we're a little too over-reliant on Facebook and things of that nature. So that's a big one. I think number two, you're going to see more brands take more of an approach to sales enablement, especially with B2B, um, with content on social. I mean, that's already happening, obviously, but I think you're going to see more of it because what's happening now, obviously this year was it over the last year and a half is like, people realize, well, we can do our work from home, obviously, we can do it virtually. And since we're not gonna go back to trade shows full time, probably like we did before, and we're not gonna go back to all this in-person stuff like we had before, they're realizing we can do this remotely and they're realizing we can do a lot of it on social. So I'm thinking a lot of like LinkedIn here for sales, but like that people are gonna, brands are gonna get smarter about enabling their sales team on social. So in theory, we should see less spammy activity from our salespeople, (laughs) and they should get better because the tools are there, the marketers are supporting that, that conversations are happening, I feel like, a little bit more. So I'm really curious about the private
0: community side of this. I had not heard of the Chipotle example, so I got to dig into that one. Thinking out loud, what are some of the benefits to doing a private community for somebody like Chipotle versus doing it out in public? Well, see, that's what's interesting,
1: right? Because like most, most brands would think, well, we want scale and reach, and this is the shift in mentality, right? We need scale and reach, and we need to reach all these people, and the smart brands like Chipotle are figuring out, we don't need that. We need to spread our chips out a little bit more. We need more niche communities that really are more, a little more targeted. So, like, Discord makes sense for them, because if you think yeah. about, like, the audience for Discord, right, it's, it's, it's a gamer tool. It started as a gamer tool. It's, it's expanding beyond that now, obviously, but, but it's, it's young people. Like that's their target audience, obviously, is they're going after a lot of young people to staff these jobs. People like my son who just got a job there um, <laughs> It worked. Six, six months ago. <laughs> right? So the tool makes sense. And I think it's just, a, that's what I'm talking about. That's why I think it'll trend next year a little bit, because I think brands will get a little smarter in that area where they're, 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 just, they're so tired of, of chasing reach and tr- chasing those metrics around scale. And it's like, oh, hold, hold on a second. What are we trying to do here? Like community, they can use that, like a Discord channel or, or or a Slack channel or something of that nature. Like you could use that for, you know, things like customer retention or customer loyalty or uh, helping customers get smarter about how to use your tool. If it was a tech company, for example, and there are, I mean, tech companies are already doing that. I just think there's lots of opportunities there to use those kinds of private tools in ways that, that brands just weren't thinking about a few years ago, even two years ago.
0: Things are changing fast obviously in the world of technology and specifically in social media consumer behaviors and consumer patterns are changing pretty rapidly not only because of the you know emergence of channels and tech but because of the pandemic how do you think marketing leaders should be thinking differently about social media in 2022 given what we've experienced in the last year year and a half or so
1: well, I think one big thing is that a lot of brands, and this might be a little more focused on B2B, I guess, but I think it applies to B2C too a little bit, is that they've become too focused on customer acquisition and leads, yeah. and they've given up on the rest of it. And to me, it's like, well, the rest of it is what makes social, is social strength. And you're using social for its weakness, too much of it, right? So I'm not saying that leads and customer acquisition and things of that nature are going to go away on social media. They're certainly not. But if you're thinking about how to use social media the right way, if you're sitting there as a, as a CMO and you're thinking, how should we use social in 2022 how can we use it differently? You've got to be thinking, to my last point about community, like we're, we're too focused on leads. Like, is it really driving the leads we want? Are the metrics supporting what we think? A lot of cases when I get brought in, it's like the answer to that is no. <laughs> the cost per lead is way too high. Cost per acquisition is way too high. And meanwhile, the metrics I have around customer retention, customer service, engagement, stuff like that are, are high. So it's like, why wouldn't you use it for what it's good for, which is customer service, especially if you're like the airlines or the banking industry or something of that nature. Um, obviously awareness in the cases. It could be even innovation, like innovating with your customers, community. I mean, there's other ways you can use it that make business sense. You can make a business case around it. It doesn't have to be all about customer acquisition. And I feel like we've over-indexed that way the last, I don't know, three, four, five years. And it's, I think that the pandemic kind of forced, even though it was like, oh, great, we can use social for everything now and everything's digital and like all that stuff, that happened. But at the same time, now it really forces to, for those of us who've been doing it a while, it forces us to, to sit back and think, are we really using this stuff the right way? And I would say no, in a lot of cases. It's a really timely observation
0: and really timely question, I think, for business leaders. And it's something I'm actually talking to a couple of our clients about right now do you have any go-to methods or go-to approaches to help senior leaders understand that social media is more like a swiss army knife than a machete you know if if they're focused on lead gen and lead gen only how do you explain to them with so many you know there are many things that we could be doing here like what's your go-to method for that
1: that's a good question. I'm not sure I have a great answer of that. I would say what's worked for me best though has been just showing them examples of competitors because they always respond to that, right? If a competitors using it in a strategic way that's different from what they're using it, they're like, "Hmm. Like if I show if I show a B2B brand what Chipotle's doing, they're like, "That's not relevant to us, Eric." Hello. I can't show them that, obviously, but I can show them and there's usually always a direct competitor. Um, and at least that gets their radar up a little bit. The other thing is to kind of kill them with metrics, right? Like executives usually respond to metrics. And if I can make a case with the metrics, kind of like I was talking about before, where look at your cost per lead through your Facebook marketing, look at your loyalty metrics around using Facebook or something, you know, something of that nature where it's numbers driven. And I put them side by side, then I can see the wheels turning a little bit and be like, okay, I didn't really think about that that way. Like no one's positioned it that way to me before. Maybe we should talk more about this.
0: I love the idea of showing the competitors just create a little bit of anxiety. Metrics always work, but that combination of inspiration and fear from examples of folks that are doing it well, but also a little bit of fear falling behind seems to work really well. That's great. It sounds Um, like political marketing, doesn't it? (laughs) Well, it's... Inspiration, fear. Inspiration, fear. It's, it's motivation and, and persuasion. Hmm. So you mentioned a little bit earlier that there's an opportunity for brands to be looking at social media as either a platform for or a source of innovation. Where would you talk to your clients about where to look for opportunities for innovation as they look at their social media landscape?
1: Well, I mean, they could start by just listening more so many brands are not listening with social media. Again, that's another, there's another example of what they're not using social media for, right? Like they're so preoccupied with pushing out information, right? That they forget to use it to listen. And mm-hmm. it's a human behavior, right? Like we all wanna talk and no one wants to listen. And brands are the same way. Like we all wanna talk and no one wants to listen. But if they just listened, like just turn on sprinkler and listen with it for a minute. And not just to the feeds, to, the, to the, all the conversations, right? So like you pick out, look at your keyword list. Pick out three of them and listen for a couple of days and see what pops up because usually what will pop up is something that didn't occur to them before. I mean, pick your platform, I mean, well, not pick your platform, but pick the open platforms, right? Like Twitter, TikTok, obviously, right now is kind of like inspiration heaven, but also kind of innovation heaven in a way that if you're, I mean, it's age old debate of like the brand trying to determine what the brand is and the customer is saying, nope, here's what the brand is, here's what we think it is. Like that's kind of TikTok in a nutshell, right? Like they'll take your brand and kind of twist it up and throw it a different way. And it's like, nope, here's what we think it is. And some brands resist that. And some brands say, yep, go with it. And to me, those are the brands that seem to be succeeding on social. That works on social really well. It doesn't work in all spaces, but on social that's working um, really well. So I think just listening is a great place to start. That's just easy for brands to do really.
0: What is getting in the way of that? Cause to me that, I mean, that, that sounds like advice that we could have been giving for the last 10 years. What is getting in the way? Totally. Is it, is it prioritization? Is it resourcing? Staffing. Is it? Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. I think it's resourcing. Cause what I see, is, I mean, what you're seeing right now and you probably see the same thing is you're, you're seeing overly stressed social media teams because oh it's either right. I mean, it's either a super small team of, uh, and I'm talking about big companies here, a super small team of like four to five people for a huge company, or it's like a mid-sized company that has like one or two people at most. And either way, they don't have time. The last thing they have time for is listening. Like they're, they're trying to push out because they're getting heat to push out content. They're getting heat to uh, community manage maybe a little bit. They're getting heat to measure. They're getting heat to plan their meetings all the time. Like they don't have time. Listening is time intensive. That's the problem is like they don't have resources and it's time intensive thing. So until they take that a little more seriously and the case can be made a little bit stronger for that, I don't, I'd like to see a change, but. Hold that thought on the case for change. I had a
0: conversation today with a really, really, really talented social media leader at a brand that you would all, that you'd recognize for sure. And she's one of those folks that could go work on any brand and make a major difference. And you could just kind of hear the press that she's under as she's being asked to do so many things. And um, I I just, I could feel for her because I, I know that she could do any one or two things that anyone would sort of suggest her to do, but she's being asked to do about 12. And it's her and one more in a small agency. It's like, all right, you, you can't be great at all of those things. So um, how do you make a change, a case for change to the CEO? Like imagine it's a, you know, imagine it's a $300 million business and there's one senior manager level person doing social media. How do you go to the CEO and say, look, if you want to get good, you really are going to have to invest. How do you make that case?
1: That's a timely question because obviously right now we're talking about planning for 2022 and... A lot of people are thinking about this and I, and I do think it will come up. The the challenge is how do you do it? So like one thing I would think about doing is, um, is maybe trying things in pilot phases, right? So like social media, what's another thing it's great for is like testing and experimenting, right? How digital in general. So there's no reason to flip the entire strategy on its head overnight with, you know, social media, why not just, you know, why can't you do a one month test? Right. You have to, you have to have enough critical mass to make it worth your while, but like a month okay that's mm-hmm. not gonna it's not gonna kill you if it bottoms out and it just it just nosedives but i think that if you position it that way like again that's kind of talking in an executives language but it's not over committing and it's just like test and learn and if it bombs like okay we'll go back to the way things were but even if you see the hint of progress then at least you can say look at we, look at this worked a little bit give us the resources the bandwidth to try it a little bit more and then you kind of continue to keep the program going I mean, I'm thinking about this with a couple of my clients next year. And like, that's what I'm thinking about really is like these pilot programs. They'll start there with this pilot and see how it goes. If it goes great. We'll continue to do it. If it doesn't, we'll just pull the plug. No harm, no foul.
0: That's good to hear you say that. Cause that's close to what my pitch was today on how to, how there to get go. It. My version of it was, uh, run a couple projects with a small agency to see, see how much you can learn about the nature of the work and see where the value is as you're doing it. And if if it is valuable in your learning, then consider bringing it inside, mm-hmm. um, which is a different version of pilot or experimentation. So um, we hadn't talked about this before, this conversation, but I, I want to put you on the spot for some free consulting. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I see locking up Let's just call it digital teams, but mainly it's social media teams, is uh, a a misalignment between what the top of the house sees as high quality output in social media Mm -hmm. and what the team can or wants to or is staffed to produce. So, Mm. how that, how that, turns into like a real world conversation. It's when a senior leader says, why aren't we better in social media? Look at that stuff we're putting out there. Why isn't that better? And so the question becomes, how do you coach an executive team that might be far away from the work to evaluate the social media work effectively and constructively? So there can be good conversations between the team that's doing and the execs that are observing. Right. Did that, make,
1: did that make sense? It did. And the, and the bottom line is the executives might be right sometimes because what I see out there is a <laughs> lot of garbage content. So like I hate to say this, but the executives might be right. Um, but what I, I think what I would do there is try, again, speak their language, right? So like and go back to your goals and objectives because a lot of times they're just – like you said, they're just kind of looking at things and be like, well, why isn't this better? Well, that's very subjective. Like this isn't a subjective – social media is, is not subjective really because you have numbers, you have data yeah. up the wazoo. So, okay, if you're doing things right, and that, this is probably a smaller subset of people, but if you're doing things right, you have specific goals you're trying to meet, which are very measurable. And you should easily be, go, be able to go back to those and say, okay, is our content helping us meet our objectives? Yes or no. And you just show the executives those m- numbers. So for example, it could be a content score. Like a lot of brands mm-hmm. will have these content scores for individual pieces of content on each platform. like. <laughs> What better way to come to them and say, well, uh, Mr. CEO or Mrs. CEO, which piece of content are you talking about exactly? Like nail them down and find out which piece they're talking about. Bring that back to the team and say, okay, what was the content score on that piece versus what was the content score on our last five to 10 pieces? And let's show them that. And let's show that in context of our social media goals and objectives, right? Engagements, Mm -hmm. awareness, traffic, leads, whatever the goals are. I mean, then that way you're coming back to them. You're speaking their language. You're talking about strategic goals and objectives and you're hitting them with numbers. You take all the subjectivity out. You got to take the subjectivity out of it because like you said, that's kind of what they're coming at you with. Sometimes it's like, I didn't really like this. This seems dumb or, you know, this isn't really working. Well, yeah. hold on a second. The a common one I see is like the executive sees it. It doesn't have a lot of engagement stat, like public facing engagement stats on it. They're like, why isn't this performing well? And you're like, hold on. That one wasn't meant to drive engagement that was meant to do this or this or this. Yeah. And then I show them, yes. And it did do those things. So it wasn't a failure. It was a huge success actually. So I like the idea of
0: coming back with the data again, for sure. Um, and also that the assumption that everything that you put out has got a purpose behind it, whether it's qualitative or quantitative. And being being able to position this as well. We did this so that we could do X, and here's how X happened. That ma- that makes a ton of sense. Now, the trick is on the subjective side too, because um, there are times when you have to you have to respond when the executive says, "Why aren't we better?" What, what I kind of want to do sometimes is say, "Okay, well, take me through something that you think is good and explain why you think that's good." And let's, Also, let's, also an excellent move. So let's deconstruct what good is in your brain, and um, so that we can we can use that as a a, as a
1: guide. See now that Jim, that's an excellent consulting move. Answer a question with more questions. (laughs) (laughs) Come on now,
0: (laughs) come on now. (laughs) Um, So. Again, uh, we didn't. We hadn't talked about this, but I'll put you on the spot a little bit. What's what's something that's going on in social media that's overhyped right now that is getting more attention than it probably should be?
1: Mm. Well, I'll give you something that that is overhyped and now has been proven not to be over. Was overhyped from the beginning. We all knew, We all kind of knew it was stories, right? And stories specifically on Twitter and LinkedIn and Name Your Network, right? That added them in the last six to nine months. Yeah, we saw them all add basically last winter or spring is when I think I'm specifically thinking of LinkedIn and Twitter here, which both recently canceled it yeah. as a feature. I mean, when that burst on the scene, I mean, a lot of people were excited. A lot of people were saying, I remember this being a huge trend a couple of years ago, like the storification of social media, like the newsfeed was dead. I might have even said this. The newsfeed is dead. It's all going to be stories. And you know, what did we see this year? Like it didn't, I mean, stories still are, are like important on Instagram, for example, but, and, you know, Snapchat's kind of based on that principle, but that's about it. Yeah. Like it never gained traction on Twitter and, you know, I doubt it will gain traction on any of the other platforms either.
0: I was hoping you were going to say clubhouse, but then as soon as I said, said that in my brain, I'm like, nobody's really been talking about clubhouse for a couple months. So
1: I think the hype uh, that's is true dead. too. Social audio would be another great one. You're the same, same exact thing, right? Like that, it wasn't just Clubhouse. It was, so, it was Twitter spaces and everything else. Like, oh, this is going to change everything. Everyone's going to listen to it. And I'm thinking, see, my, my issue with Clubhouse is like, I just don't know if, like, it's too time intensive, right? Like you have to really commit to it, right? So to get an audience there, it's almost going to be like micro audiences, like super micro. So like now you're not even talking about, like we talked about Discord before being a kind of a niche audience. So it's not a yeah. huge scale like now this like to me clubhouse and social audios were like super micro because how many people really have that much time because if you're talking about social audio you're talking about thought leadership usually so okay you're talking about a b2b audience sophisticated highly educated <laughs> how many highly educated people do you know that have three hours to listen to clubhouse every day not very many not if they know what they're doing yeah <laughs> no
0: conversely what's underhyped what, what do you think marketing leaders should be paying attention to in social media that they might not be. And you kind
1: of, I think maybe hinted at this earlier. Activating leaders on LinkedIn is still a huge opportunity to miss because what we saw in 2020 and 21 as the pandemic progresses, like leaders did get on LinkedIn finally, yeah. finally. Yeah. Right. We've been begging for that forever. Finally, we get, we had the the kind of the flashpoint we needed, but, but the problem was they got on and now it's just, it's either super dry thought leadership content that means nothing or they're way over promotional of the brand. Yeah. And they have this opportunity. They're missing, they're missing the point, right? Like they have this opportunity. They're not reading the room either because if you read the room, what people want is human. Like they want you to be a human being. They don't want you to be a robot. They don't want your corporate communications team to do this. They don't want to see press releases. They don't want to see you promote all your content. They want you to be a human being. Yeah. So I think about people like, uh, I think Ed Bastian is the CEO of Delta, is that right? I think about him. If you look at his, I remember he had a post a while back where he, and I used this one with a couple of clients, where he was talking about the experience of bringing his daughter to the University of Georgia for her freshman year, yeah. it must have been last fall. And how about that, you know, what kind of experience, I mean, you just went through this experience a couple of times. So like bringing your kid to college is this huge parent moment. Yeah. That has nothing to do with LinkedIn, nothing, but it's a human element and he's the CEO. So it has everything to do with LinkedIn, I think, because it warms him up. And lo and behold, he posted that and it got all sorts of engagement, right? People talked about it. You know, I gotta be honest. I, I
0: am not a heavy LinkedIn user. And I what I do see is the stuff that is probably overly promotional. And But I could really see how valuable an honest, like capital A authentic personal anecdote or personal sort of showing up on the site would be really
1: valuable oh yeah the funny thing is like the ceos of the smaller companies are kicking the ceos of the big yeah. companies butts big time yeah because the ceos of the big companies don't want to take any risk obviously that's what's happening so like they don't want to take risk lower companies do and they're destroying them because they're willing to open up they're willing to be real they're posting more photo content of themselves which is what people want the ceos of the big companies are just going through the motions basically like yeah. you, this, you're just wasting your time. Actually at this point, I'm glad you're on LinkedIn, but you're wasting your time. How do
0: you stay up to date on the world of social media and, and brand building in general, but specifically social media, it's changing so fast.
1: I don't. Is the honest <laughs> answer. I mean, I try, I certainly try, but I don't, I mean, it's impossible. And anyone that tells you it's not is, is lying. Um, it's just, there's no way you could stay up with it. So I, I feel like I have uh I hate to say imposter syndrome, um, but kind of like that, you know, like I feel like yeah. I'm making it up a lot of times cause I can't, I can't keep up with it. I try, but I can't, but the, the few things I do to try are I carve out, you know, half hour mm-hmm. of day every day to read. I target my reading to a very curated list of people I read. So, and, and outlets I read. So I use Feedly, for example, as a curation tool and, uh, you know, I just spend time reading every day. So then I bookmark that stuff and I use it for our podcast, um, the Hanson Hunt podcast. I use it for mm-hmm. my blog. I use it for the e-newsletter. I use it for school where I teach the University of Minnesota and the University of St. Thomas. So like, I use it in lots of ways. So I get a good payoff from it, but that's not really fancy, but that's my trick really.
0: Well, I appreciate the honesty. I think we are, anyone that is really honest will tell you it's impossible to keep up with everything. I used to pride myself probably like you did on being on top of the fast emerging stuff in social, I just I keep in, in digital in general, I just can't keep up anymore. No. I'm like you, I, I think I am putting forty five minutes probably a day, you know, a half an hour in the morning and that's good. Maybe even another half an hour over the course of the day into it. So it might be a full hour just trying to keep up and that's good. it's impossible.
1: I know. Even that, even an hour a day it's not enough.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. My justification's always been, well, that's what people pay me for, you know, to, to yeah, be in front true. of the stuff. But, um,
1: but, but even you, though, at you, you thinking you're at 80% is, is 100% for most people. Like, that's you, you're, <laughs> you have enough answers, you know what I mean? Like, I've discovered that about myself, too. It's like I feel insecure about that notion that I'm not on top of everything. But when clients ask me, I'd say, not 80%, maybe, but a little less than that. I, I do know the answer most of the times. But even when yeah. I don't, I'm like, I can get the answer. Just give me a day. You know.
0: Yeah, I can get it to you. All right, so let me ask you a generic but important question. This is—you could put this in the realm of uh, speed round or wrap up. But what's what's your favorite non-work book or podcast?
1: Oh, that's easy one. My my recent one is Smartless with. Uh, Will Arnett and Jason Bateman and uh, Sean Hayes That's and I got turned on to that yeah it's fantastic it depends on the guests but um when they had recently I listened to the one where they had Maya Rudolph on oh. and it was I gut laughed many many times on that episode I I kind of so love funny. Maya Rudolph Maya Rudolph's it, fantastic she could be on that show she should she be should, on
0: that show she should do her own show yeah um oh, the yeah, one I'm they too. did with Ken Burns recently was great you could tell they were all like super fanboys which was kind mm-hmm. of fun um, I haven't listened to that one yet. It's really, really good. Okay. All right. What's the kindest thing that someone has done for you?
1: I, one of the things I do under the guise of uh, kind of networking and new business is this. I run this mastermind group made up of senior level communicators at a lot of the companies around town. So I started this maybe four or five years ago, and a lot of the people are friends. So it's pretty, I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back, but it's kind of, it was easy for me to do it. But it made sense. I, as I continued to do it, more people became involved and I have like uh, like 30 plus people that are part of this group now. So it's huge. It's super fun. And even during the pandemic, it was kind of a lifesaver for me and I think for some of them, therapy session. We just had a, a talk this week and it was, it, was, it was a true therapy session. It was focused on mental health in profession and stuff like that. Anyways, that group's been going great. And twice a year, we get together in person and celebrate and see each other and get to know each other a little bit better. And we did this recently when was it may or june we got together a distillery in northeast minneapolis in person and i saw a lot of people i hadn't seen for a year at least and it was great and then about uh halfway through the meeting one of the one of my friends kind of pulls me and said hold on eric we have a we have something to give you or something to say and they all kind of hush up and then they start talking and they um, had all chipped in this money to get me this series of gift cards to all these wonderful places in town that we'd love to eat at and you know notes in there and stuff like that and uh i mean very simple gesture but hey i was completely caught off guard i did not ex- i mean uh, i i'm not fishing for that i do not want that i was never looking for that out of this thing but it was just a completely nice thing for them to do they didn't have to do it and it was you know it was led by one individual but it was probably a lot of them that were pushing for it and uh that was, I mean, of recently that was probably the nicest thing that it, it wasn't one person, it was a group of people, but they, it was just, it was, it made me feel good about humanity again, you know? Cause sometimes we've been questioning ourselves lately.
0: That's amazing. What a great story.
1: That's really cool. Yeah, it was fun. It was, uh, yeah. And, when, and then the, the nice, the end of results, we got, me and my wife got to eat at all these wonderful restaurants. <laughs> We're going to eat there anyways, but you know. That's great.
0: That's really kind of them. Well, Eric, thank you so much. Uh, this is great talking with you. I learned a bunch and I got a couple ideas on uh, on how to stay on top of stuff. So
1: thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show and good luck with the podcast and always nice chatting with you, Jim.
0: Thanks for listening to Business Drivers presented by Farron. Find us at HelloFaron.com to learn more about the work we do. Sign up for our newsletter and find articles and resources to help you grow as a leader or Find us on Twitter at HelloFerrin or on LinkedIn. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend. It's the best way for us to grow our audience. We'd love to reach more people with the work that we're doing. And if you have ideas or advice or feedback or complaints, please reach out to us on Twitter or send us an email at bizdrivers at hellofaron.com. That's B-I-Z-D-R-I-V-E-R-S at hellofaron.com. Until next time, this is Jim Keene saying thanks.